You know, honestly, folks, I thought I had it all figured out when it came to this Good Friday message. Recently, as a part of our ongoing verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of Matthew, I preached a two-part sermon from Matthew 27 called The Characters of the Cross. And I talked about the different characters that surrounded the cross, but not just the characters themselves. I also talked about the different lessons we can learn from those characters. If you were paying attention, you might have noticed that there was one character identified in the reading of the scripture that I didn't say anything about. And that was Simon of Cyrene, the man who, when Jesus stumbled under the weight of carrying the cross, probably just the cross beam on the way to Golgotha, was pulled from the crowd and forced to carry the cross the rest of the way. Matthew 27, 32, it's just a very brief reference, but this is what Matthew 27 and verse 32 says about him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. And the reason why I didn't mention Simon in either one of the messages called the characters of the cross is because I thought I would just save him for Good Friday. And in my mind, I thought about all the different kinds of things that I could say about Simon that might be meaningful in a Good Friday message. In fact, I even wrote down some sermon starting points uh, that I would use to try to write the message. I wrote down things like uh, the word forced. The word forced that's used there in Matthew 27, 32, when Matthew writes, and they forced him to carry the cross, means that they grabbed him and they compelled him against his will. In the original language of the New Testament, it's a word that implies the use of brute force to accomplish a goal. And I thought there could be some powerful truths and applications that could come from the use of that word and just comparing it to what it is like to follow Jesus sometimes. Another thing I wrote down was the truth that many Bible scholars, and maybe you've heard this or studied it yourself, believe that Simon ultimately became a believer, a follower of Christ as a result of his encounter with Jesus that day on the way to Golgotha. And that isn't just speculation. There are reasons for that that can be found in the scriptures, like uh, the fact that Someone would say, why else would Simon be mentioned in three of the Gospels by name if he were just some random character that didn't really matter at the end of the day? Uh, Some people point to the fact that when Mark writes his Gospel, his story of the life of Jesus, when he gets to this part and Jesus' journey to Golgotha, he identifies Simon, but he goes a step further and says that Simon was the father of two sons named Alexander and Rufus. We read that in Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. And the obvious question is, why would Mark mention his two sons if he, again, were just some random victim of the Roman soldiers because Jesus was too weak to carry his cross? Some people believe that when the apostle Paul concludes his letter to the church in Rome, and he writes in Romans 16, 13, these words, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too, that the Rufus he mentions was actually one of Simon's two sons, and that because Simon and his entire family became believers, that Rufus went on to be a leader in the church in Rome. Uh, That's a compelling thought and could provide a compelling story. I had so many different thoughts in my mind about things that I could say about Simon becoming a believer on this Good Friday. I wrote down uh, this as a starting point, perhaps. Sometimes 
we find the cross and sometimes the cross finds us. I think that could be an intro into a message related to Simon. I wrote down, Simon shows us what Jesus really meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. I even wrote down a possible outline that I might use in a message about Simon. If you've been going to church here at Mount Pleasant or one of our impact campuses for any length of time, you probably know that I have a fondness for three-point sermons. And so I wrote down these uh, possible points for a message about Simon. He went someplace he didn't want to go. He did something he didn't want to do. And he ended up following someone he didn't want to follow. I mean, I thought about all the different ways I could share the truths that we find in the scriptures or connected to the scriptures related to Simon. And the bottom line was I was feeling really good. I was feeling really confident about writing a good Friday message focused on Simon. But honestly, folks, that should have been my first clue that it wasn't going to work out. I say that because over the years I've learned when it comes to writing a sermon or writing a message that every time I start to feel really good about writing a sermon, and what I mean by that is I think it's going to be easy or I think I'm going to be really clever or something like that, it just doesn't work out in the end. And here's how that will usually unfold. I'll spend a lot of time thinking about it. I'll spend a lot of time researching, reading, and writing, but in the end, I just won't like what I put together, maybe it would be more accurate to say I just don't feel good about what I put together. And that was my experience with the original message for our Good Friday service tonight. And I'm certain that's because deep in my heart I know there's so much more at stake tonight than my ability just to write a clever message I really need to share something more personal, something more meaningful, encouraging with you as we navigate uncertain times, because that's the reality of what was going on with the disciples when Jesus was crucified. They began to navigate uncertain times, not that different in some ways than what we're going through today, and I just mean that simply in the sense that there are questions about what the future looks like and what the future holds and what's the next step. I don't know if you recognize the name Joseph Bailey. He was a theologian of sorts. He was an author, wrote several books, and he was a publisher. In fact, he was the president of David C. Cook Publishing Company at the time of his death in 1986. One of the books that he wrote was called A View from a Hearse. Bailey was qualified to write a book like that because he and his wife had seven children, and tragically, three of them died at a very young age. And so the book is basically filled with his simple and helpful thoughts and meditations on death and grieving. It's been a comfort to many people over the years. In summarizing the book, someone once wrote, Joe knew that peace with death doesn't come from understanding everything that happens to us, but in knowing the God who is in control of everything. There's one particular quote from Joseph Bailey's book, A View from a Hearse, that stands out to me. It's always stood out to me, and I began to think about it in relation to Good Friday. He wrote, Don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. I think that's so significant, I want to say it again. Don't forget in the darkness 
what you have learned in the light. And he said that because sometimes the truth is darkness can descend on us so quickly and so thickly that we can barely remember the light. I imagine that's the way the disciples felt when the horror of the cross began for Jesus as he was arrested there outside the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, not long before that happened, Jesus had spent some precious last hours with the disciples. And one of the most significant things he said to them is recorded by the Apostle John in John 16, 33, when he writes and says that Jesus spoke these words, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But then Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What were the these things that Jesus was speaking about there when he said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace? Well, if you just go to John's gospel where we find that verse and you start looking at the last hours that Jesus spent with his disciples, you can find multiple things. For example, in John 14, Jesus told the disciples, I am going away, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back to get you, to take you, to be with me where I am. So yeah, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to be gone forever, and there's going to be a time when we'll be together again. A little bit later in John chapter 14, and I find this very interesting, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to ask the Father, said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter to be with you forever. Now, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit when he said another comforter. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit was that he would come and be a comforter that was not just with them, but literally a comforter who would be inside of them. I don't know if you remember or not, but we've talked about this passage before and those words that Jesus spoke when he said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter to be with you forever. And I've told you when we've studied that before that there are two really common words in the Greek language that are translated another. They are the words heteros, which means another of any kind, and the word alos, which means another of the same kind, the exact same kind. And so if I said to you, give me another Bible, and I use the word heteros, I would be saying, give me any kind of Bible. I just need a Bible. It doesn't really matter the translation or anything like that. It can be a softback, hardback, whatever form. Just give me another Bible. But if I say, give me another Bible, and I use the Greek word alos for another, I'm saying, give me another Bible exactly like the one that I have. Well, Jesus used the word alas for another when he said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter. And so basically Jesus was telling the disciples, listen, yeah, I'm going to go away, but you're not going to be alone. I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter just exactly like me. But this time, instead of just being with you, he'll be in you. You go to John 15 and Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. And he basically said to them, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. You go to John 16, and not that long before Jesus spoke the words that we're talking about there in John 16, 33, he literally told them that a time would come when their grief would be turned into joy. And so, 
Jesus had given the disciples multiple reasons why they could have peace when trouble came into their lives. Remember the verse, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He gave the disciples multiple reasons why they would have peace or why they could have peace when trouble came. But in just a matter of hours, those things were forgotten. Because the truth is, at the same time Jesus was telling the disciples that he had overcome the world, Roman soldiers were putting on their armor and their weapons to go and arrest Jesus and take him away. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, they didn't remember the things that Jesus had said. They didn't remember that moment when he said, I have overcome the world. They just felt the whole world overcoming them. But here we are on Good Friday. Because the darkness didn't last forever. Jesus rose from the dead, and that's why that dark and horrific Friday is now called good. That's why we continue to have hope even in the midst of darkness. So let me just remind you of those words that Joseph Bailey wrote in his book, A View from a Hearse. Don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. You know, when I completed all of my chemotherapy and radiation treatments for tonsil cancer back in February of 2012, I was really fortunate that my recovery began almost immediately. I can remember leaving the hospital or the cancer treatment center at the hospital uh, the last day of my treatment, and one of the nurses that I had grown to love, that Sandy and I had grown to love, who had been so kind and so uh, caring for us during my time there, said to me, the last thing she said to me was, listen, I don't want you to be worried if in two weeks from now you feel even worse than you feel today. By that time, after 40 radiation treatments, I, I just felt miserable. My body had been through a lot of trauma. And she said that, your body's been through a lot of trauma, so don't worry if two weeks from now you feel worse than you feel today because it's going to take some time for your body to recover. But honestly, I woke up the next morning feeling good. And because that year we had a very mild February, this was about the middle of February in 2012, Sandy and I were able to get outside and go for some walks around our neighborhood. I remember we were out for a walk one day and we, uh, we didn't know what the outcome of the treatment would be. We had prayed and we had our hopes and uh, we trusted God, but we didn't know what the outcome of the treatment would be. And during the entire period of my treatment, we really never once talked about the possibility that the treatment might not work and that I might die. At one point, though, on that walk today, we began to talk about that. And she said to me, what's going to happen to me? And so if the worst case scenario happened and the treatment didn't work and I died, she said, what would happen to me? And I told her, you know, first of all, that she was going to be okay from a financial standpoint. She didn't have to worry about that. We have 
had been married for many, many years already by that time, and we saved money the entire time that we have been married. And also, we had some really good, strong financial safety nets in place in terms of life insurance, and I assured her that from a financial standpoint, she was going to be okay. But then we also talked about the fact that all of our life together, because when we got married, I was 23, and she was 20, and I was already uh, the pastor of a church plant in Texas. So our life together had been spent leading churches. I told her that all of our life together, we had seen people experience loss only in the end to be sustained by the hand of God who has promised us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And I told her that I was confident and that she could be confident that what God had done for others, he would certainly do for her. We both believe that by faith. And the truth is, we never ever talked about it again. That was more than eight years ago. If there's a message when you feel like you're surrounded by the darkness, if there's a message when you don't know what the future holds, if there's a message to be learned from Good Friday and to remember on Good Friday, then perhaps Joseph Bailey articulated it the best when he said, or when he wrote, don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And he has. The cross did not change that. And nothing that you could ever face in your life will change that either. Nothing that any of us face individually or collectively together as the church will ever change that truth. That is the message of Good Friday. Don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a few minutes to spend together talking about that event over 2,000 years ago when Jesus, out of love, went to the cross and took our place. I know it seemed in the moment to the disciples and those who were followers of Christ that all hope had come to an end. I know it seemed like the darkness had won. I know it seemed like that clarity was suddenly replaced by confusion and the unknown. But none of that was true because you were in control. And what they, followers of Christ and the disciples didn't understand that moment, even though they'd heard it from Jesus, is that he really had overcome the world. Anything in this world that challenges us, that frightens us, that makes us uncertain has been overcome by Jesus, our Savior. Help us to remember that. 
and celebrate that. In Jesus' name, amen.